Today is Tuesday, June 6th, 2023, and you're listening to the Ask a Christian podcast. I'm your host, Nate. Today we talk about division between Christians with the same Spirit. Supposedly, right, Christians are sealed by the Holy Spirit. We have the Spirit of God living with us, guiding us into understanding and truth and everything like that. So then why are there still divisions amongst Christians? We'll talk about that. Uh, different creation accounts we get to, uh, you know, doesn't really matter um, what the focus should be on. Did Jesus ride a dinosaur or not? May have some questions about that. Is the earth really young? Is it old? Why does it matter? What are the different reasons people think it matters? And how sh- how far should we push that before we realize this is not a salvation issue? Um, unless you're talking about like theistic evolution or something, then we'll have another conversation. And then we talk about Sola Scriptura, going back to the ancient church, going back to before anyone wrote what would become the Bible. So we talk a little bit about that. Um, you know, perhaps Paul was saying different things out loud than what he was writing down. I don't know anyone that believes that. So there's no reason to think that there is some church tradition that was established before the writings that would later be compiled into what we know and love as the Bible. Um, Good chance that Paul was saying, and Peter, Paul, the disciples, the apostles, they were saying the exact same things that were being written down. Um, There's no reason to think they would be preaching a different message, uh, because then that's what they would have written down. So... I don't buy that argument. Anyway, um, check out the Ask a Christian book available on Amazon. Learn how to have civil conversations with a less than civil world. And get some biblical answers to commonly asked questions about Christianity and the Bible and Jesus. You can also check out the Ask a Christian store. Grab a teacup, grab a coffee cup. Teacup? I don't know if we sell teacups. Grab a coffee cup, grab a shirt, support the cause. And you can also click the donate link and show your support. Uh, Help out with a donation and keep this thing going. Thank you for your help and support, and please share these links on social media. We'll see you later. As you, how are you today? Doing are you speaking? Well, how are you, gentlemen? Uh, good. What's on your mind? Yeah, what's up? So I got two questions. I don't know where you guys have been um, discussing. I'm just um, here for the title of the room is that possible sure sure go ahead we just uh ju- we're just getting started okay thanks so um first of all um i i no i do have the bible and i read it i'm an ex-muslim and um i'm interested in christianity that doesn't mean that i'm willing or i want to but i'm kind of like interesting about the theology and about the whole I want to have better understanding about Christianity. So maybe eventually I could end up being Christian. Um, but I came across um, Matthew twenty four thirty six. 36. I have no problem with the Trinity, but like Matthew uh, 24, 36, where it says, but about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the son, but only the father. So maybe the son can be justified to be excluded here as because he humbled himself. He came on the ground and he maybe submitted to the will of the father. But like, where is the Holy Spirit? That's an interesting question. Um, well, the Holy Spirit presumably would be, as Jesus says, you know, I'm sending the Holy Spirit. So um, he'll be with you always. But we also know David in Psalms, before Jesus even showed up as a human, said, you know, don't take your Holy Spirit from me. So you can read a lot into that. 
And just like Jesus, we're told that everything in creation exists and is sustained by Jesus. So we also believe the Holy Spirit is, is not just bound to hanging out in heaven, but the Holy Spirit is, you know, everywhere, all, omnipresent. So I'd say, where is the Holy Spirit? Everywhere. Yeah, sure. So you can, like, distinguish them, like, completely or separate them from one another completely. But the thing is, Jesus pointed to the Father as the only one who knows. So there is, like, a specification here. Um, if Well, I have no problem with God calling God God, for example. That's not a problem. But like he said, only the Father. So he was referring to one person in the Trinity, excluding himself because he humbled himself. We get that. But where's the Holy Spirit? So that's like it's excluded. The Holy Spirit is excluded because he was specifically referring to the Father, which is one person in the Trinity. Well, yeah, I mean, this. I mean, different people may say a couple of different things, but basically it's going to end up with their different roles. And some would say, it's because like Philippians 2, 6 talks about how Jesus, you know, being God and having everything God has, didn't consider this a position to take advantage of, but he humbled himself. So I would, some people would say, you know, he, he knew, but his, you know, human body, he didn't know some stuff. I wouldn't agree with that, but you'll probably hear that somewhere, but it's going to be like the, is like the economical Trinity or the, or whatever. It's basically how they are all the father, son, Holy spirit are all three persons, yet one God. And it's going to go to their, like, their, their like roles as who they are. So it's not because they are like can't be uh, the same, can't have the same knowledge. It's because the Father is, you know, the head, and then Jesus is in the role, serving as the Savior of the world, as the sacrifice, as the Son, and then the Holy Spirit serves the role as Comforter. So it's not like one dominates the other. It's like um, you may hear, I forget the term, but it's like basically each one is fun is functioning and fulfilling out their own prescribed roles. So not that one is is less or more, but it's because they all are filling out their own roles. So in this case, Jesus is filling out his role as, a, you know, like as he humbled himself. So he's preparing to be the sacrifice for everyone. The Holy Spirit is going to fill his role when, you know, like the acts, when the tongues of fire appear in everyone's head. Yeah, I agree with that. You know, it's uh reason why the you might say the Holy Spirit didn't know and only the Father knew is because you know that you know the Father was the one that determined it. It's not uh, a claim that none of the three are omniscient. Economical thing, right? Okay, so yeah, that's that. Um so I have another question if that's possible. Uh, which is it delayed John after the resurrection of Jesus, where Jesus called um, your father, I'm sorry, uh, my God and your God, or is it your God and my God? Now, I understand that God can call God God. There's nothing wrong with that. Just like in Hebrews, I guess from 8 to 12, where the father called the son God. So that I have no problem with God calling God God, but the issue is why would God call God my God so the son said my God your God in my God why would the son call the father my uh, his God I mean they're supposed to be um, equal right 
Yeah, just like Philippians 2 says, they're equal in every way, yet Jesus chose to humble himself. So some, some may say it's because he's living as a human, putting himself under the law, his own law, and showing how to live a perfect life as such, you know, worship God. Well, you could say, is, is God worshiping God, which is God himself? You could say that, but the easier way is to say in this role as humble servant, he's acknowledging the father. Just like when he prays, like, and people will try to, you know, be like, oh, well, why is, you know, Jesus is praying to himself because, you know, like whenever people try to do that, um, I'd say it's a similar thing. Like the fact that Jesus prays even shows us how to pray our father in heaven. And that goes back to the role, right? Like the father is, and he says, you know, there's one God here is where the Lord is one. And we're told Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the father. And then there's the Holy Spirit. So that doesn't mean either, either of them are less than God. It just means in their role. You have the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So, you know, we're told different things. Like, that doesn't mean Jesus can't be comforting, but we're told primarily the Holy Spirit is to be the power of God and to give comfort to people and to be a comforter. And Jesus, the Son, the sacrifice, one mediator. And the Bible also goes on to say, you know, there is one mediator between God and God and man, and that is the man, Jesus. So when it says the man, Jesus, is that discounting the deity? Well, of course not, because Jesus is God and man. So saying man is not wrong. So it just goes back to the individual role. And then God, the Father, is spirit. And the Bible says God is spirit. Um, then Colossians 3 says Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. So Jesus is fully God in flesh, visible. And he says, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And then that's where we get into the mystery of the Trinity. Okay. Um, go on, brother. Well, yeah, stick around. And if you have anything else to say, yeah, jump right in. But um, yeah, I appreciate the question. Hey, Joanna, what's up? Hey, or Joanne, how are you? I agree oh, do you want to say something else, brother? Yeah, I agree with that too. It's just positional. It's like Jesus saying, I thirst. You know, it's uh, the humanity of Jesus, you know, speaking. And Jesus was a Jew. And of course, he would worship the uh, God of his fathers and thing. It's just. Uh, that was a great explanation. Well, and it's also, I guess, to give a little more, like Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, you know, if you believe in your heart, um, God raised Jesus from the dead and you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. Then if you don't read anything else of scripture, you would think, OK, well, if God is raising Jesus, then maybe Jesus is not God because you need to believe God raised Jesus. Why didn't it say Jesus raised Jesus? But if you've never read any other scripture, if you read the rest of it together, you'll see that when Jesus predicts his death, and he says, you know, this is right after he rebukes Peter for saying he'll never die. Like Peter's willing to go to war for him. And he says, no, no, he's no one takes my life from me. I lay it down. And he says, I also have the authority to pick it up again. So in essence, when you say, well, you believe God raised Jesus from the dead. Well, Jesus is God. Like Jesus has the authority to take up his own life. Anyway, so okay. I would encourage you in your in your searches to just make sure and read as much scripture as you can. Because you really need the totality, the full scripture. Like more information is always better. Uh, Joanne, how are you? I saw you last night for a little bit in uh, Matt's room. Yes, I'm so glad you joined us. Uh, we're doing that Monday through Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. I'm doing okay. well. Hope you are. I am. I am. 
Uh, Aaron, what's up? Anything on your mind? Hey, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. I, I, I got a question for you. It's kind of related with the Holy Spirit. Uh, so one thing I've heard is that, um, like people say is like how you get your understanding with the spirit when you're reading scripture, you know, are you familiar with what I'm saying? Just as that, that is a concept. Okay. So I guess my question is one, can you maybe explain, elaborate that? And then two, and this is my question. Why, if that's the case, you know, given that, why is it that people come to such different understandings of scripture if they're both reading it in the spirit? I, I appreciate that question. We, we actually talk about this quite often. So I think what you're talking about is like spiritual discernment. And Paul talks about this in first Corinthians. I think it may be 14, but in first Corinthians, Paul talks about, uh, you know, don't, don't lean on man's understanding and these like high minded philosophies of man. Like it's, it's world, the world wisdom of the world. And it's foolish. Like it, it's compared to understanding the things of God from man's intellect. It's not going to match up. You need the spiritual discernment and this wisdom that comes from God. So on that line, whenever when, like, like a great example is like the Trinity, like we were kind of talking about um, whenever people want to talk about the Trinity and they get real philosophical and they like real logical and they talk about like, you know, how can you have a married bachelor and all this other stuff and using like very, very much man's wisdom. And yet the Christian, whenever we see this stuff, it's just so it, it just clicks like the pieces just click. And it's like, well, even if you don't believe it, how can you not understand the concept? It's like, you know, most people believe that, you know, humans are body, soul and spirit or something like that. Like we're a triune being, which makes sense if we believe we're created in the image of a triune God. So I don't understand why it's like, well, look, the flesh and blood, that's us. That, that's that's Jesus. He was flesh and blood, for example, an analogy. All analogies break down. But then the father, he's like the one, you know, the one in the role of controller, like the brain, the central nervous system that causes everything else to move. And the Holy Spirit is the spirit of God, self-explanatory. So I'm like, even if someone doesn't understand or doesn't believe the Bible or doesn't believe the Trinity, I still think they could understand it. But many times whenever I explain that just to, just like that to people, it's like they have this blank, blank stare and they're like, that makes no sense to me. I'm like, are you sure? Like, I'm not trying to convert you. I mean, you should, but I'm not trying to convert you. I'm trying to just like give you a clear picture that I feel is very, very easy to grasp. And they're like, I don't understand. That makes no sense. And I'm like, well, I, I guess I'm wrong and the Bible is right then. Like you do need the Holy Spirit to lead you into certain things and give you the spiritual understanding because for all of my efforts, and I think it should be apparent, it's very clearly not. Um, so, so that's, I mean, that's the best I got. Like, you know, the Bible is right. Um, yeah, well, I guess, okay, but I'm getting more into like interpretations of the Bible yeah. because now you have say, you know, what, you know, you know, you have multiple Christians, Trinitarians. Okay. So uh, it, sim, same in that sense, but now when you get into other understandings of the Bible and maybe I, I'll give as example, I'll say, uh, you know, you have a lot of people who are. Uh, say division between Calvinists and Arminian. Um, why is it that? I mean, both are Christian, but why is it that the Spirit hasn't? I mean, with this idea that the Spirit is the one giving understanding, why isn't this one that the Spirit has given an understanding of that you still have this division? 
Yeah, I understand. Right? That. That's, that's the question. And so I'm really just, I, what I'm really getting at is why is like, and, and these are, I mean, w- one of them is true. And I guess supposedly in the scripture or sh- should be made clear. But if a Calvinist is reading it, they're going to read verses that say, yes, it says Calvinism here. And someone else is going to read and say, no, it doesn't say that with the exact same verses. So yeah. how can you say then that the spirit is giving this understanding when you have two people coming, two Christians coming up with different understandings? Well, the first thing I'd say is Jesus says, you'll, people will know your mind, my disciples, by the love you have for each other. So, you know, for what it's worth, just keep that in mind when you see different versions of Christian fighting. Um, if, if they're very loving and sincere, uh, that kind of goes to what Christ said. If, if not, and they're like just full of rage boiled over, doesn't mean they're not a Christian, but it may cause you to look twice at them. But so, okay, so let's start with the Calvin Arminian thing. Well, hang on, let's start somewhere else. So basically humans are imperfect, right? So even Jesus, even Jesus was walking around teaching his disciples and, you know, he appeared to Paul firsthand. So even that, uh, Peter and Paul still had their disagreements. And that could be because, you know, like Peter uh, was trying to go back in the traditions and customs of the law. And Paul's like, no, no, that's that's wrong. And eventually they hash it out. And Peter's like, you're right. I'm wrong. Um, he's like, oops. And you see the reason. So it's just an example. One of the reasons was Peter was being pressured by other people to fall back under the law. So if everyone had a perfect understanding and their will, like their their motives were pure as snow, then I believe everyone would get on the same page. But because humans are imperfect, we still have our competing wills. We still have the culture around us. We still have all these other like imperfections that can darken the lens or harden the heart to some degree, even of you know the message of Christ. So I think that's why, yes, it is all the same spirit. We're told if we believe Jesus is Lord, confess with our mouth, believe God raised him from the dead, we are saved and we repent and believe the gospel. So anyone that's done that has been sealed by the Holy Spirit and they're guaranteed uh, you know, stop, to be saved. So everyone is a Christian that we're talking about that believes that and has done that. So then the only difference is why aren't they on the same page? Well, if we're talking about salvation issues, they definitely will be. Or by definition, you can't be a Christian. So he says, you know, believe in me, repent. You must be born again. Ask for eternal life. Receive it. Ask forgiveness of your sins and follow me. So whoever believes that, by definition, is a Christ follower, is a Christian. Um, Anyone that doesn't believe that. So you you mentioned non-Trinitarians. The overwhelming majority. And salvation issues is what I'm trying to get. This this is the ultimate thing. So if it's a salvation issue, that's the ultimate thing that matters. So by the time we get to Calvinism and Arminianism, maybe if they had a few thousand more years, that they'd, they'd be on the same page. But it's a secondary issue. Like both people are saved, the Calvinist and Arminian, because they agree on the primary issue. They agree on Jesus by faith alone, through by grace through faith, you've been saved. So there's no issue um, on whether or not they're true Christians. Both of those positions can be. And, and as far as the non-trinitarians and things like that like unitarians who there's a lot of things you can mess up about the gospel and still be a christian but there's some things that even people manage to do so the overwhelming majority of christendom are trinitarians they do believe the father son and the holy spirit are a triune being of god Um, and then you get unitarians and oneness people they're an incredibly small factions and i would say you know for whatever reason they've managed to mess it up it's just like mormons and jehovah's witness like, you know, people like to say how many thousands of denominations of Christian they are. Yes. And many of those have no salvation issues. They have no problem with salvation doctrine, uh, except there's a few that still manage to mess that up and we call them cults. So that that's all I can say. 
is God is perfect. The spirit we have is perfect. And if we were perfect, there would be no misunderstanding. But because humans are fallible creatures and we also have our own selfish desires and motives, that's why we are not totally in sync. Yeah. No, I, that, I totally get that explanation. Um, it makes sense. And I, I wasn't talking about like, I, I was really just talking about like Trinitarian Christians because you know, I kind of get that other divide. But um, I don't know. I guess, you know, it's more on this comment that some people make where they seem to suggest that their interpret, their like literal interpretation of the Bible comes from having the spirit in them. And so if you, if you have a different interpretation, it means like you don't have the spirit, like as, as if the spirit was the one inside of them teaching them what, how to interpret the Bible. And that, that's just something that I've heard Christians say. And I, I, I can't understand that idea because I still, I still feel like still you reading the Bible and determining yourself what you think. And that's why, right, because we're all uniquely fallible, that's why we come to unique interpretations. Whereas if it was the case that we're literally being told what to think by the Spirit, then we, then we would have exactly the same perfect interpretation. Yes, I, I totally agree with what you're saying. I mean, you know, I'll still go back to my answer. We're fallible, and you know, whether it's for money, read, selfishness, or whatever reason. But that is the claim, and it's kind of it kind of rubs me a certain way when I hear it. I mean, I would I would be someone who would make that claim, um, but so would everyone else, right? So if you have a Trinitarian, and, and a lot, and the reason you hear it more from Trinitarians is because the overwhelming majority of Christendom is people who believe in the triune nature of God. Uh, so I mean, there's, there's like infinitely more of us than Unitarians or Oneness. Um, which, you know, not that an argument of popularity makes us right, but it's worth considering. Um, so maybe maybe a lot more of us are in sync. But whenever people say that, they're like, well, you know, Unitarians are oneness people that don't believe in the Trinity are are wrong and they're not real Christians because if you have the – because I believe I'm a Christian and because I'm a Christian, the Holy Spirit is giving me, you know, a spiritual discernment and helping me understand the Bible. And my understanding has led me to the Trinity. So therefore, I'm a Christian, I am right, the Trinity is right. So it's, it's making these like leaps, uh, these leaps of assumption that then anyone else could do. They could say, okay, well, I'm a Unitarian and the Holy Spirit's, you know, leading me into truth and understanding, therefore I'm right and you're wrong. So, I mean, it, it's kind of like a, yeah, well, I am, but what are you type game? But I mean, I, mean I, I still would make that claim. And for the other people, you know, I'd say, well, I think, I think you're wrong. I don't know the reason. God's your judge. Uh, but prayerfully reconsider. But everyone can make that argument. And no one can prove that argument. I mean, if if the if the concept of the Trinity was so important to Christianity, um, then why wouldn't God make it more clear in the in the New Testament? You know, it's it's you really have to search for it, and uh, there's plenty of discussion. You know, there's only a few verses that even mention something like a Trinity. So uh, it's really you know it's really difficult to establish establish based on the Bible. So uh, you know, and you mentioned that you know all Christians agree on uh, salvation. No, they don't. Of course, you know Orthodox and uh, well, Catholics believe in the sacrament. They have purgatory. You know. There's there's plenty of disagreement uh, on uh, on salvation, and uh, your view is the, in the minority of the Christendom. So uh, you know, so does that mean uh, you know that they're correct and you're incorrect? Or you know, I, I just don't think arguments from popularity you know make any sense at all. Well, yeah, I said that too. But there's there's quite a few things you said, like three points, and they're all wrong. Um, at least about me. I never said all Christians agree about salvation issues. I specifically pointed out 
quite a few examples of where they don't. Um, and then you talked about purgatory. That's not a salvation issue. Whether you think you're annihilated, I mean, I believe hell is hot and hell is literal. But your view on hell that is not a salvation issue. Your salvation issue is in, is in Jesus. Um, so purgatory would not be a salvation issue. I agree. We have plenty of other plenty of other differences, but purgatory is not a salvation issue. Um, and as far as the Trinity, uh, that's also not a salvation issue. And depending on the Christian, right, like I'm, I'm pretty easy on that because God is their judge. I'll tell people what I believe and why I believe it and why I think they should, too. I'll point out scriptures. And I believe, you know, it's not just a few verses. I believe it's, it's pretty pronounced throughout scripture. Um, and this is like one of the things. It's like whenever you make the claim I'm about to make and I believe I'm, I'm have the spiritual discernment and I'm being, you know, nudged by God to, to get this correct understanding of the Bible. And whenever I, you know, flip open the first page of Genesis um, and it talks about the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the deep. And uh, God says, let us make man in our image. And then you keep reading the book and Jesus shows up and he's a human and we're humans. So he looks like us. We look like him. It's like, okay, well, that's not much of a leap at all to realize that he was talking to the son. He was talking to Jesus. And there's a triune nature of God represented on the first page of the Bible. Anyways, not to get into a whole Trinity discussion, but I, I think it's things just like that. And like I said, it's not a salvation issue, but I think it becomes a big issue when people like if they're like, I don't know about the Trinity. What is this? Maybe I'll get around to reading it someday. And they just never really don't. They have an open heart or an innocent heart. But like Pharaoh, if they if they start hardening their heart, well, at a certain point, I don't know. God does. But at a certain point, if they start fighting against the Trinity, um, and really going at it hard and like denouncing it, like all this other stuff. I think that's a serious issue based on my personal view that God is a triune being. So if you have, if, if they believe God is not, then my opinion is they have a very incorrect view of God. And does it, is it so incorrect at a point that that means they have an incorrect view of Jesus? So like Romans 10, 9 and 10, I don't mean to preach. I'll shut up in a second, but Romans 10 says, if you believe God raised Jesus from the dead, well, which Jesus we've, I mean, we've got to be talking about the right Jesus. And one of the few religions that messes that up, I mean, we call a cult, would be Jehovah's Witnesses because they think Jesus is the brother of Satan, or and more, it's one or the other. And the other one, Mormons, I think, That's think right. he's like Michael. Think think he's like Michael the Archangel. So it's like, well, if you're saying I believe in Jesus, but Jesus is the brother of the devil, you're clearly not talking about the right Jesus. So if you believe that God came in flesh to Earth, Emmanuel, God with us lived a perfect sinless life, died for us, for his creation to redeem us, forgive our sins and give us eternal life and rose from the dead. And all the people, his disciples saw him ascend to heaven. That's the right Jesus. Um, anyways, that, that's what I would say. Well, I think you're superimposing your, you know, your systematic theology. You have a system in your head, and then you're you're opening the Bible and you're you know applying that system and looking. For example, you know, you mentioned Genesis. I mean, the Spirit of God that just means wind or breath. You know, you, there's no way you can take Genesis one and say this is talking about the Trinity. I mean, I mean, it's just it's talking about the breath of God. I mean, breath is not a separate uh, a separate spirit being. Is not, thing. Spirit it's, is not. Uh, well, spirit not is not that in this case. When he breathes into God, like the breath of life. That's the case for what you're making, not when it says the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the deep. That, that's a different case you're making. If you're talking about when God created Adam and breathed the spirit, breathed the breath of life into him, that, that's the time to make that point. Uh, but not when it says the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the deep. But one, and one more thing, whenever Jesus, now that we've talked about Trinity is not strictly a salvation issue because of the reasons, but I think sometimes things are ambiguous because Jesus says, you know, my sheep know me, they hear my voice. So in John 9, I believe, around John 9 or 10, 
the disciples say because he talks in parables and they say why are you why do you talk to in these people to riddles and he says for you it's been no it's been given to know the meaning of these like the kingdom of god is yours you've been given to understand this stuff he says it's it's god's good pleasure that this is hidden from some people so not just like if they try hard enough they can find it like he straight up says it's god's good pleasure for some reason to hide this from them so they will never know and this is to fill a, fulfill the prophecy of isaiah if you go on is saying having ears they hear but they don't understand and having eyes they don't see so um for whatever reason that's it so i, I think a lot of times when christians are understanding these things and these concepts and they're like i see it so clearly in scripture why don't you and then the conversation like we just had back and forth is like i mean it, it sounds real judgy real fast but i don't i i don't mean it to be that way but it's like well if I'm just like seeing all this like linked together just so easily, it's like a puzzle piece that you don't even have to figure out. And you're like, well, you can't get that from this and you can't get that from that. I'm like, I don't know, man. I, am I a sheep and you're not? I mean, I don't want to I don't want to be like that. But I would say if you're someone who can call on the name of the Lord, repent and believe the gospel and trust Jesus alone to save you and forgive you and give you eternal life, then it's not going to be long before you're over here on our side telling other people to do the same thing and call on the name of Jesus. If I could add one scripture to that, Nate, if I could. Uh, sure. Uh, it says Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verse 17. It says, then I beheld all the work of God that a man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun, because though a man labor and work to seek it out, yet he should not find it. Yeah, further, though a wise man think to know it, yet he should not be able to find it. And I got one more verse. This is Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse uh, 11. It says, for God has put the world in our heart so that no man can find out the work that God makes from the beginning to the end. Now, this is uh, because that God does this so that man uh, will fear and, and uh, basically depend on God in all that he does. So there's some things that we will not know about God, and that's OK. Service, what was the very first uh, scripture you gave? What was that? That one? was Ecclesiastes chapter eight, verse 17. Can you read that again? Was that the one about uh, won't find it or something? Yes, yes, sir. Yes, sir. It says, um, uh, then I beheld all the work of God that a man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun, because though a man labor to seek it out, yet he should not find it. Yet further, though a wise man think to know it, yet he should not be able to find it. Okay. And let me clear something up real fast. Yeah. Uh, whoever corrected me in, in chat. Yeah, I always get those mixed up. Apparently it's the Mormons who believe Jesus is the brother of Satan, spiritual brother or whatever. And it's Jehovah's Witness that believe he's Michael the Archangel. I, I always get those two backwards. But um, real quick, uh, what's, what's up, CEO? Hey, um, are we able to change topics real quick? Uh, maybe. Let's get a let's get a follow-up from Constantine real quick. You, you didn't have the last word. That was you were speaking, right, Constantine? Well, I mean, it's hard, it's hard to reply. So, for example, you mentioned that, uh, you know, in John, uh, the disciples are, are the ones who understand Jesus' parables. But in Mark, we're reading that they're constantly misunderstanding. So Mark always underscores that, you know, they're basically stupid. They don't understand anything that Jesus is doing. They don't understand who Jesus is. Women go to the tomb at the end and, uh, you know, they're told Jesus is, is raised from the dead and go tell the disciples in Galilee. And it says, uh, you know, they, they didn't tell anything to anybody because they were afraid. So, I mean, in Mark presents a complete a different story that they, you know they don't they don't understand anything well keep in mind the timelines of which came first i'd say that's a you know fairly unkind reading of mark but um i did say i'd give you the last word which technically i guess i talked um <laughs> it's a uh, ceo yeah what's up 
Yeah, so I had a question. Um, so let's say the Earth was 4.5 billion years old. Would we expect Genesis to read any different? Because isn't it more efficient to say seven days and to say on day 132 million and six, day 1 billion 804, et cetera? So I just wanted your thoughts on that. That's interesting. I mean, you need to think about that a bit, a bit. So you're saying if the Earth was 4.5 billion years old, so... I guess do you you don't think the Earth is four and a half billion years old, or you're a young I Earth do. creationist? No, I do. No, I do think it's that old, and I don't. And I think that being the case, I still understand why Genesis says day one, day two through seven. Okay, it, that's easier than doing what I just said, numbering the actual what the actual days were. I agree, and hearkening back to our previous conversation, I also. Um, you know, take a pretty agnostic approach to this subject because ultimately it doesn't matter. So I, I think, you know, I, I think um, if some, some way I'm wrong and the earth is young, fine. I mean, I've, I've heard some ar arguments for young earth creation that I'm like, okay, that's reasonable enough, whatever. Um, but yeah, I typically old earth is fine. Um, and is that because there's a reading like, you know, a day is of a thousand years of the word word. Um, I, I don't really think that, but more like, you know, even not necessarily full gap theory, but maybe if people will say there's something from Genesis 1 and 2, and Genesis 2 is not just more detail of Genesis 1, but Genesis 2 is like a, a rebirthing. Like in Genesis 1, something happened. I don't know. Maybe that's when the dinosaurs got wiped out. Um, and then Genesis 2, God recreates some stuff. Because you don't see the same things being recreated, like the planet or water or stuff like that, being recreated in Genesis 2 that you do in Genesis 1. So all of those reasons make me think, okay, you know, it's not a salvation issue, which going back to previous conversations— Christians can disagree all about this all day long, and they do, uh, which the Bible warns them about, like don't quibble over words and foolishness and only ruins those who are, who's here. So I think we should talk about salvation issues primarily. Uh, but yeah, if we disagree about the age of the earth, I don't care about that for one minute. I mean, if they start saying Jesus rode around a dinosaur, I may have some more questions. But uh, yeah, I, I mean, I'm fine with what you said. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't expect it to read any different. And I, I'm kind of with you, more old earth than not. As far as Genesis 1 and 2, I mean, this scholarly consensus, these are two separate stories. Uh, God is referred to by different names in these stories. So Genesis 1 is Elohim, which is the plural gods, and then Genesis 2 is Yahweh. So there, there are different traditions there, just describing the two different creation stories coming from different traditions from different times. The plural one God, not the plural gods. Just make well, sure. The word Elohim means God, but uh, you know you can uh, you know you can say you know God is referring to Himself and uh, you know in plural. That's that's fine, but it's uh, that's what the word means. It means uh, God. Well, that's the whole thing about God is we don't fully know His His makeup, but only what the Bible teaches. So we try to stay with that. We got one God who is in three persons or a deity. So just we can. I have a question whenever, uh, whenever. Uh, maybe your time now. Uh, yeah, go ahead. Hey, uh, so, uh, first I appreciate the, the thoughtful answers in the room and, uh, the, yeah, it's, it's been great. Um, I have a basic, super basic question, uh, that I, I can't really wrap my head around. Right. So when they say like God gave his one and only son, or sacrificed his one and only son for your sins, did God actually sacrifice anything? Like, did, like, Jesus, it, you guys believe that Jesus is up there with God right now, right? Yes. So, 
he still has Jesus. He like he didn't lose Jesus. Jesus is still with him. I appreciate the question. So I'll say um, <laughs> I, I I always I don't know want to say uh, kind of amused when this comes up. Uh, because under the Christian paradigm, right, like if you, um, I don't know if you're atheist or agnostic or whatever, but if someone puts their Christian hat on for a minute under the Christian paradigm, um, well, what must happen? So there must be a sacrifice for sins. It doesn't say, um, you know, someone must stay dead. It doesn't say how much blood must be spilled. It doesn't say, uh, there's all these things. It doesn't have a pain threshold or tolerance that must be met. The only thing that does have to happen for the sacrifice is someone has to die. And in this case, it's Jesus. So if Jesus suffered carbon monoxide poisoning peacefully in his sleep, and that was the sacrifice for the sin of the world, that still counts. If he got an infection and died, that still counts. Like the only sacrifice necessary is Jesus needed to die for the sins of the world. That being said, uh, the Bible does say, although it doesn't say how much blood needs to be spilled, it says without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness for sins. Jesus says that. And he says his blood will be poured out for the forgiveness of sins of the many. Um, so there is that. Now that we've covered that basis, so if you look at it as, what did he really sacrifice? It was just a really rough weekend. I don't know how familiar you are with crucifixions, and I wouldn't recommend you go out and try to experience one, but it would not be fun. So if you look at the other, the glass half empty maybe, or the glass half full of crucifixion, you've got the creator and sustainer of everything in existence who his very creation is murdering him because they're ridiculous. Um, that can't feel good. And if we have emotions because we're creating the image of God, that doesn't mean, you know, we're, we're somehow different and we, we have all these emotions God doesn't have. God very clearly has emotions. So that, that could not feel wonderful to have a bunch of your creations. That would be if I, I fight a pack of dogs that I adopted and I rescued and I saved and they turned against me and ate me. That would not feel good. Um, and then you're forgiving them as they're murdering you. Um, and then you die, not to mention the the whip, the flail, the 40 lashes, like, you know, bone ripped through skin, like, yuck, how bad would that not, how, how bad would that suck? So the point is, even if there was no ultimate sacrifice, no ultimate pain, and then you're forgetting the whole, the whole weight of sin. So like, even when Christians, I, I'm almost done, when Christians talk about how Jesus on the cross was the most painful, like worst execution ever, and then you've always got some genius who's like, oh, well, you know, people in camps who have been had bamboo shoots in their thumbs and, you know, they've been tortured for years at a time, they're discounting the weight of sin. So Christians believe the spiritual thing called sin, you know, the, these wrong things that we know we shouldn't be doing, but we do anyway, that transgress what God wants. There's a weight, there's a pain, a penalty associated with that. So in addition to, yes, the normal physical pain, there's this weight of every single sin of every single person up on him. So, and that's a claim, right? So you're free to discount it, but that's why we say that. So it was a huge sacrifice, an ultimate sacrifice, um, not to mention the weight and the pain of the sin that you can discount, but we believe in, which is why we say that. Hope it helps. Well, it was an excellent, it's an expl excellent explanation I just, I can't wrap my head around it. I really can't. Like, and I just like, I'm not like trying to argue. I, I just, I just look at it like one, like, I don't know how, how long was Jesus on the cross, like three days. Like if you no. look at that, like in terms, in terms of like eternity, like that's nothing. That's no pain. That's like relatively like nothing. You know what I mean? Like if you look at but, how many billions it, of years old, but when you go through it though. It would be if you were in the timeline of God, right? That is a prick, 
a, a minor prick. And then I also don't understand, like, God is also has created these humans exactly how he wanted to, including all of their their downfalls. He, he did all of that. All of those personality traits are on purpose. Right. So, I, like, I don't understand how how it's like necessarily even like like it's totally within God's power to not give humanity the traits that God gave them. That's not even like a free will thing. Like he could just make it so that you don't want to sin. Like you just well, naturally means, don't just I, like in the same way that you want to breathe. Part of this right. Oh, well, yeah. Hang on one second. I just want to address one thing. That means your premise has to be true, which I would, I would argue against. Like if God, God creates everyone just the way they're supposed to be. Well, no, I think this demonstrates the fallen world. Like he created Adam just the way he wanted Adam to be and Eve just the way he wanted Eve to be. Yet they still had their own will and they chose to go against God and sin with it. That doesn't mean every single person, like even though, you know, we're told that God like formed him in his womb, like Jeremiah, the prophet. And, you know, God forms us and God creates us. That doesn't mean like this fallen world doesn't play a part in imperfections. So you could say like in John 9, uh, when he says, who sinned, this man or uh, his parents, that he's born blind. So he was blind from birth. And Jesus evades the question. He's just like, look, this is so God can be glorified and he heals him. So that doesn't necessarily mean God creates everyone with imperfect desires or imperfect wills like you can blame that for from anywhere from the fall of humanity to bpa chemicals in the water why people are the full way they are um so i would say that but who, who wanted to speak about the first part of that um yeah i just wanted to say steve another thing is perspective so like i'm curious if you think that's always equal in terms of sacrifice so you or I, if we had a billion dollars, we would be thrilled, right? But if Bill Gates, you know, let's say he has 132 billion, give away a one billion of it, would you consider that? Uh, you're chopping up a little bit, uh, CEO. Did were you able to hear him enough? I couldn't. I couldn't. I, I'm sorry. I said. I said if Bill Gates gave up 131 billion of his 132 billion in net worth, would you consider that a sacrifice? Sacrifice? Would that be a sacrifice? Um, sure, he has less than what he had before. But here's 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 what I have a trouble with: is God does not have less than what he had before. He does not have. He has every. He had everything before the crucifixion. He had everything after the crucifixion, and. He, in fact, has Jesus right next to him now. So, like, that's even, like, like I, I like I don't see him having any less. It's not even like the Bill Gates example. It's like Bill Gates has $132 billion before, and Bill Gates has $132 billion after. Um, did he sacrifice anything? And I would say, okay, no, got it, he didn't. Got it, got it. Okay, so, so you have to give up your home for a year. You sacrifice that for a year. Now, after that year, you get a nicer home. Did you make a sacrifice for that one year? No, if the answer, if I didn't have to, if I chose to, I did not sacrifice, right? If I just like, oh, I, I have every ability to have like a bigger house. I'm just choosing to live in a smaller house. No, no, you, you became homeless. You became homeless. So you were homeless but, for a year. But so if I were homeless house, for a year, a bigger house, but you end up with a bigger house than you did originally after that. 
if I were homeless for a year, like by choice or like I had to. You, you decided to let someone else, you know, live there and things didn't work out for you. You didn't find another place to live and you ended up being. Well, hang on, guys, I think we're getting way too pedantic about this. Like if all Jesus sacrifice, like Philippians 2, 6 uh, says, you know, he being equal with God in every single way, didn't take advantage of that position, but instead humbled himself. So what do we have right there? We have humbled. So the God of the universe humbles himself. So if let's let's line up these biblical metrics of what Jesus could have sacrificed, uh, even by your standards. So well, I, I, not try, I was trying to create an example that was a parallel to that. That's what I was trying to. I, I know, but it just it, it just feels like like if Jesus sacrificed a hangnail, like that that's all it would take. That's not the point. So it's like we're missing. It's like the Pharisees, like they they missed the forest for the trees. Like they got hung up on every little jot and tittle. So let's like dumb this down as much as we can. If Jesus gave up, you know his 33 human years that he came here had to be born as a baby, had to walk around among us, his creations, who many of them chastised and hated and ultimately murdered him. Uh, if that's all he gave up and now it's like it never happened. And you know, the, the time he was like flogged and beat within an inch of his life and then finally murdered on the cross, like a really bad weekend. I mean, that's, that's not nothing. Right. But if all that happened was a hangnail with some blood and he died from it, that's all that metrically needs to be met for the Bible to, to, you know, meet its markers. So I don't know why we're talking still about like how much he sacrificed. It's an irrelevant point. Like if he sacrificed a day as a human, that's a sacrifice. That's all that counts. Um, it just seems like we're belaboring this point unnecessarily. Uh, look, look up. Did you want to say something? You came to stage. Did you have a thought? No, I just wanted to say, I totally agree. Um, he's pretty much, um, disagreeing with how a sovereign God decided to do something. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Stephen, does that make sense? Like, I mean, I mean, I don't want to discount the conversation, but I mean, it, even by your standards, you could say he sacrificed something, no matter how small. Great. That's all it takes. And, and then we can kind of like case closed, even though Christians believe, obviously it was significantly more and it really, really sucked. Um, but if you discount that, then, you know, whatever minimum standard of a sacrifice, one unpleasant day as a human still counts. I just think like sacrifice means you have less after and you don't have like God did not have less of anything after He's that one, experience. One less day being the cause being in the cosmos, sitting at the right hand of the father. One less day of that because he was here on Earth. Well, I, I understand why he's questioning it, because it's impact, right? And there's a reason why Jesus didn't just come down for two days, tell some stories, and then go back to heaven. So there's a reason why it played out the way it did. And you have to say some of it was because of the impact it ended up having on humanity. Yeah, I think it had a pretty significant impact. Oh, I wanted to get to Nathan before he left. But the value, I think the value is... is the value comes from 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 you understanding that he forgave you a sinner. Well, that's the other side of the argument, right? Because like just was it yesterday or two days ago? Maybe two days ago over the weekend, someone was like taking the complete other side as an atheist, saying how you know it was disgusting. Christianity was awful to think that Jesus can go through, and they were being they were like up playing it way more than I did. Like they're like all this blood, all this torture because they had a point they wanted to make. Um, 
And they're like, all this torture, all this blood. So I guess we could have just let you guys talk about it with each other. But they're like, and he sacrificed for me. I don't want that. That's immoral. Like if I, if I do something wrong, I want to pay for it. And so I mean, they're basically taking the other side of the coin to which, you know, the, the truth usually lies in between the two. So between the two extremes, he sacrificed nothing and he sacrificed way, way so much disgusting torture, torment. Um, I would say the truth lies in repent and believe the gospel, regardless of how much you think he sacrificed. Um, he sacrificed his humanly life, and it was enough for you to be saved. So um, if the truth lies in the middle, usually not a bad place to start. Uh, Ernesto, what's up? I haven't seen you in a long time. How are you? Good. I'm glad that you remember. It's been a while. <laughs> what's on your mind? Anything? So I think maybe the last time we discussed, I had similar things, and I've done uh, further reading, and I'm actually reading a book by Henry Chadwick about the early Christian church. Uh, highly recommended. It's by Penguin, um, at least the current publishers by Penguin Books. And um, just figured I'd bring up some topics about early Christianity and and their and, and the to- and the touch points between early Christianity, the Bible the canon, and the concept of sola scriptura, if you guys are up. Uh, well, that may be the conversation that lasts until I got to go. I've got about 20 minutes, but uh, what about it? <laughs> so, oh, oh, hey, guys, sorry, one second. Uh, Nathan was here a minute ago when he left. I, I, I was lamenting that we didn't get to talk to him. Real quick, I, uh, Nathan, did you have anything to say? Hey there. I, I, I didn't get to you before you left. I apologize. Uh, not anything in specific. I might, I might comment. Uh, every so often, I don't know. Okay, uh, yeah, Ernesto, go ahead. So I guess maybe one thing to, to think about is like prior to the Bible being widespread, like like there being a widespread usage of the Bible or, or maybe even a more like prior to that, like before the Bible was even compiled in the first place, um, we must accept that there were Christians. Um, I mean, the Bible talks about these people who existed prior to the writings even having been written. Writings prior to what been written? Like before the 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 writings of the Bible had been written, there were Christians. Sure. And no, and I guess like and, and I guess you're talking about the Old Testament. <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. Like after Christ has died before Paul is converted, yeah. for example. Like, let's just say that was a week period. We, we know that it's longer, but let's say for a week there were Christians who professed that Christ had died for their sins. Through that death, their sins were remitted, and therefore they have access to eternal life. Um, but they made that statement, and they were confident in its doctrinal truth prior to the Bible having attested to it. Um, So at least in one point in history, there was doctrinal authority that could be exerted separate and apart from the Bible. Um, And and I guess the question is, if that existed and those truths could be passed along prior to the Bible, why then are we subject to the concept, uh, at least as Protestants put it forth, of solo scriptura. Well, I would say, first of all, uh, hang on, my darling children are making noise. Um, clean your room. <laughs> I would say it, instead of what you're trying to say, which it sounds like establishing like a tradition, 
Um, I would say it would be more like, you know, the, the Talmud, how like the Jewish people before stuff was written down, they kept the Ora Talmud or they kept oral Torah. So it's not like they're coming up with their own stuff. They're, they're just reciting what was there. So they're like, okay, God told us this. Now we're just going to parrot this exact thing over and over. And they're not doing a whole lot of tradition. They're just reciting it. So if, uh, for example, Jesus says, you know, uh, I'll, I'll paraphrase, you know, if you f if have faith in me, if you believe in me, um, I'm going to die and be raised from the dead. So if you believe that um, and put your faith in me, you'll be saved. So like a very basic Christian message that we have today, like by faith, through, by grace through faith. Um, if someone said that, if Jesus or one of the apostles or one of the disciples said that, um, and then after Jesus dies, they just repeat that over and over. It's not like they're establishing a tradition. They're just repeating the words that would end up being written down and added to the Bible. So, so do you get what I'm saying? It's more like the oral tradition of the Israelites than the modern tradition of Catholicism, for example. They're just saying what the Bible ends up saying anyway. If they change from that, then I would probably disagree and say, well, no, because now they're like inventing other doctrines that, you know, it is not what the gospel said. If they just parrot what the gospel says, well, they may as well be a talking Bible. Okay, so so your contention is that the what Christians believed was completely um, set forth in the Bible thereafter. Well, there will be differences. Like, look at the Bereans. Like, you know, they poured through the scriptures daily to see to see what they were doing was was as correct as they could be. You can bet all Christians didn't have that same fervor. So it's not to say all Christians would have access to, you know, the finer doctrines or the finer points. Like even in the, even in the second, third century, like even the church fathers didn't have access to the full scriptures that would become the Bible. So, but they had the saving knowledge, which can be written on a post-it card. The death, burial, resurrection of Jesus, repent and believe, um, and you're saved. So, so the very like fundamental saving points, which is ultimately all you need, I believe everyone who followed Christ was truly his disciple got that message. Whether or not they had talked about free will or not a whole lot, who knows? Got it. Okay, so, so the contention is that uh, even, I just want to paraphrase it in a way that like I'm understanding what you're trying to, what you're trying to convey. Like, so the message itself is like this universe of knowable things that allows for salvation to be uh, obtained that prior to the writing of the God, prior to the compilation of the new Testament, that w was accessible to people separate and apart from the Bible. But thereafter the Bible was compiled. And so therefore we do have like writings that we could kind of like say that both things are saying the same message. If I heard you right, I think so. Okay, so I, that that could potentially deal with my my first point, um, with which is generally like, uh, how do you reconcile the fact that there were um, Christians separate and apart from the Bible when they could not reference the Bible? You're kind of saying the the message that they were spreading early Christian church churches apart from the Bible were actually captured in the Bible at a later time, and so therefore there's no distinct differences in the sense of like something wasn't orally taught that is contradicted by the Bible afterwards. Assuming well, yeah, that like, well, well, yeah, like would we think uh, Paul, like, you know, Paul probably told some of the first things he believes before he actually wrote it down. Maybe the reason he wrote it down is he was inspired by the Holy Spirit immediately after he said something to a congregation or someone passing the street. Um, he's like, oh, I got to write that down. 
So, I mean, unless we're to think Paul had a completely different, of course we're not, um, but unless we're to think Paul had a completely different doctrine, like the letter of the Corinthians, you know, the different letters and the different churches he went to on his missionary trip, unless we're think, supposed to think he taught something completely different than what he wrote, well, no. Like, he wrote down the very same things he was telling these other churches on his missionary trips. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's, it's essentially the Bible, no matter how you split it. It's just one is you could say word of mouth before he put pen to paper, but yeah, they're saying the same thing. Got it. I, I would, I would, I understand your, your line of argument. It's, it's somewhat compelling. I would argue that Paul himself actually indicated that there were certain things that he taught people orally that he did not capture in writing. So I think that would prick up uh, something to, to consider. Um, but I mean, we could leave that point point to the side, well, I guess. I, well, I, I would concede that point. I'm sure he said, you know, because like even the Bible talks about Christ and says the the pages in the world wouldn't be enough to contain everything he did. So I'll concede there was stuff said that's not written in the Bible, but nothing regarding salvation, because everything regarding salvation is, you know, like three lines, like one paragraph. And that's everything about salvation. So surely they, they had other conversations that they didn't write down, but nothing that would impact like salvation issues or something like that, because it's so simple. Got it. Um, and then I guess like flowing from this conversation is that thereafter there come to exist uh, various writings, some which end up making it into the canon of the New Testament, which most Christians acknowledge, some, some that do not. How, who has the authority to make that determination and how did that process come about? Uh, well, uh, yeah, I think it was St. Jerome that played a big part in that piece be upon him. But um, regardless, if you look at all the – and we, we have to discount the Gnostic Gospels because they didn't exist um, during this time. <laughs> they were written later. So all we really have is some of the other scriptures that you'd find in like the Ethiopian Bible. So if we've got, you know, 66 book, Western Bible, um, you know, the Catholics have like plus eight in the Apocrypha, which even, you know, to their credit, they separate as like a second canon. So they, they don't even call that like the primary canon. It's a deuterocanonical, a second canon. So they, to their credit, at least make that distinction. But even if they didn't, even if we just had a mess of all the scriptures and they're just like, here, this is everything that could possibly be considered for the Bible. Well, that's, that's the Ethiopian Bible because that's what they did. So they have like an extra 20-something books. They even have the book of Enoch, which wasn't even in the Old Testament. It was never in the Old Testament, and they still include that. So I believe... We'll never know unless we can go back in time, and I have no knowledge before that. But these other books that could have possibly been considered canon, they have little to nothing to do with the gospel. They have little to nothing to do with Jesus or salvation issues or anything like that. Like overwhelmingly, it's like you you know you have extra ex, uh, extra chapters in Esther. You have all kind like huge swaths like the Maccabees. It's just like the movie, the biblical version of three hundred. It's just like which godless war is waging which godless king is waging war and which other godless king. Like a lot of the times it's not even talking about people who are following God. It's just telling what's going on in like Persia and like the, the other lands. So it's really, I believe very easily to parse out if we had the Ethiopian Bible, which I mean, I have, I've read. And, and that's why I'm saying this uh, from what is like salvation issues that you need to focus about ba based um, compared to just what is extra proverbs, extra socioeconomical going on to the time. Um, that, that's what I would say. So it's not that um, I don't appreciate people taking uh, taking what is relevant to Scripture and Jesus and putting that in a book and leaving all the other stuff out. But even if they included it, 
it's not like you're going to be read really astray. Like in Enoch, you may have some questions about giants. Uh, Nate, there, um, well, uh, there's, there's one part of his answer I can chime in on. There were three screening tools they used. I don't remember what the three filters were. Uh, CEO, you went on mute. But I'm thinking the screening tools may have came later than what we're talking about. But Ernesto, that's what I would say. Um, ultimately, if we had everything, would do just fine. The Ethiopians, they do just fine with their Bible. I would say that there are certain books in the New Testament, sorry, that did not make it into the New Testament, whether the Ethiopian Bible or any other form of the Bible, that um, early Christians used to kind of guide them. And be interesting, like, why did those not make it, whereas others did? And some of these writings uh, have been, like, dated to earlier than Revelations, for example, maybe even earlier than the Gospel of John. And they, for example, I'm thinking, like, the Didache. And let's presume that the Didache could have made it into um, into the New Testament. W wouldn't that... So I guess... If that would have made it into the Bible, wouldn't you think of Christianity in somewhat of a different conception than you currently do, or, or you don't think you? Uh, I mean, there's there's no. As much as I love, all I can give you is my speculative opinion. Um, I would love to say everything will be just how it is because we would still have, which I, I mean, I, I think kind of puts a puts a nail in the coffin of this argument because things worked out just the way they did. I believe that's because God wanted it to work out that way. So if somehow um, it would have been allowed in this in this canons of the Bible that we have now, um, either it never would have happened because God wouldn't have allowed it. He'd be like, no, I want the Bible just this way. That's why it turned out this way. Or if God would have allowed it, um, then we would still have the Spirit of God living with us, guiding us and giving us spiritual discernment. So I like to think that, for example, if the Gospel of Thomas was squeeze in our New Testament somewhere, or one of the Gnostic Gospels that came later. Um, I could read that and be like, oh, one of these things is not like the other. And then maybe I'd say, well, you know, the Spirit has, you know, shown me discernment, and all the Christians just ignore the Gospel of Thomas, and then we would say, well, the Bible has errors. The, error, the errors in the Bible are the Gospel of Thomas, or it just would have been removed. So, I mean, the, there's no way to know unless it actually happened without all of our knowledge to date, but I like to think that we would have forged our path through just fine because so many of the, the uh, New Testament books say the same gospel over and over and over. It's, it's redundancy upon redundancy. So they just testify one to the other. So if there is something different, it's like spotting a counterfeit bill um, in a stack of legit 100s. You just know it. That's why you want to stay focused yeah. on the gospel itself. So, so here's the three filters. Apostolic origin, orthodoxy, and widespread acceptance. Those were three of the tools that they used. Um, there is a writing such as a Shepherd of Hermas, which was a popular second century writing that was not included for that reason. It didn't pass those three filters. Yep, yep. Um, I, I think that I've heard of those three filters and it makes a lot of sense in, in terms of um, the books that were finally allowed into the, into the canon. But I, I think apostolicity you might you might bicker a bit because like some of the the writings are not from apostles like like luke or, or matthew 
Um, but even then, like they were trained by the apostles, but so was Clement, for example, and Clement's writings didn't make it into the New Testament. But I guess a flip side of the way of thinking about this, this issue, for me, it's a thorny issue, um, is why don't, for example, there's nothing and my, my my original question about the, the Didache, would you think about Christianity in a certain different way, is not whether you would think Christ died for myself, like like the basic tenet. No, I think, I, I don't think you would think about Christianity in any separate way if you read any of the books that were up for contention in the New Testament, but that did not make it in. In the end, none of these things would contradict that message, but they would present different modes of worship, of um like you would just think about the Christian life in a different way. Um, I, I invite you to read the Didache so, so you can see the things that I'm talking about. But well, 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 yeah, on the Didache, I mean, I think you know, you said would it change? The only thing that would give me pause is you know, it would make a case that baptism is absolutely necessary for salvation. Other than like thinking a different way, like you know, is the Christian life more towards like the pure and light, and death is toward uh, you know, hatred is full of like you know, the way of darkness and death. I mean, that that wouldn't necessarily. Because we kind of, I mean, we think about that now, right? Like you don't want to do evil. You want to do good. You want to follow Christ. So we kind of think in terms of that now, the only difference in the Didache would be like baptism is necessary for salvation. Um, I think we would get. Yeah, exactly. That's the type of thing that I would think about. But I, I guess the, my my final question in this line of thinking, just to get people thinking about it a little bit different ways, is why don't why don't you see the 27 books of the Bible and say, hey, you know what? The Didache would be an excellent addition to the New Testament. So now it's going to be part of my New Testament. What prevents you from doing that? Uh, well, I actually don't even think that. I, I mean, well, yeah, that's well, not in, even in the Ethiopian Bible, right? Out of curiosity. Does anyone know? I mean, that's not even in there. It's not. So I, I would want to know, is that because it wasn't written in time? Um, so I, I would have some questions about that. I actually don't know when it was brought about. But... Uh, yeah, as far as now, I mean, I, I could say like, you know, if you, if you have it, like I like more information, more information is better. Um, so I would say I'm fine reading it and then, uh, you know, disregarding that baptism is necessary for salvation based on all the other scriptures. Um, so if it was in a book, if that's the only Bible I had, if I'm not the one that put it together and it was in there, I'd be like, okay, fine. But, you know, based on all these other scriptures, um, I now think, you know, this is an incorrect interpretation or if they're saying, no, the interpretation is right, baptism is necessary for salvation, well, then I'd have to say the Bible has errors. Because well, I, I don't believe that. Can, well, can I, I ask a question, Nate, real quick? Uh, so yeah. uh, you, keep, you keep saying that there's a, the, how, how would Christianity change? So that, that, that leads me to believe that there would be something different that the dedicated teaching from what the Bible is teaching. Can you tell me what that is? Yeah, I, I may, if Nate doesn't want to say it, like, I think the Bible teaches, and, and this is goes to the interpretation question, because it's not a matter of it saying something different than the Bible. It's just basically clarifying what the Bible already implicitly teaches. And this is obviously my position. You could disagree with what I'm about to say, but this is my position. I think the Bible implicitly teaches that baptism is necessary for salvation. That's already there. The Didache just makes it further explicit. So it's not that it teaches anything different. That That's never the case with any of these sorts of things when it, when it comes into like, um, like thinking through orthodox issues. Again, like it's not that the Bible 
the doctrine of the Trinity arising from the Bible teaches something different than the Bible. It just makes explicit something that's already implicit, and the Didache would basically be doing the same function. So teachers, I get saved on Friday, but I um, I get baptism on Wednesday, but I die on Tuesday. I go to hell? That's what it teaches? Purgatory, right? Would, would you answer purgatory? Or would you say hell? No, no, no. I would. I don't. If we want to talk about that's a totally separate topic, and I don't. I, I try to. Well, well I'm only word. asking because if that's what it teaches, that's not what the Bible teaches. So it's no, no. It, it just it just teaches that just as as Christ tells, uh, as it's documented that Christ says that in order to be saved, you must be baptized by water. That is a biblical text. It further it further teaches that in a more explicit way. That's right. it. You not must, so much. You must be baptized to be saved. In other in other words, like I said, I, I I accept the gospel on Friday. I don't get to get I don't get to get wet until Wednesday, but I die on Tuesday. Am I going to hell? Oh, I completely did not get your your hypothetical. Um, so that would go into a separate understanding of, of baptism and there are theories for for po potentially reconciling um baptism so there's there's a theory of baptism by desire which kind and of captures exactly right there, guys. yeah that's not that's why it's not in the bible exactly so show me it i can show you scriptures of what the baptism looks like through christ this is colossians chapter 2 verse 11 and 12 this is correlation with Romans chapter 6, verse 3 to 7. In the baptism, the same way as Christ was risen from the grave, we will also be risen by, by the Father. And in this union, we're married to Christ, to God. And this is the what baptism looks like. And the water baptism is only just a representation of that spiritual baptism. When one believes, then you're sealed with the Holy Spirit so and that's I, not and i would say you know there's i mean like you talked about different theories like i mean the implicate the obvious implication is that we don't know like maybe one of these theories is right maybe not but like first john five thirteen talks about i write to you these things uh, you who believe in the name of the son of god so that you may know uh, that you have eternal life um so i'd say there there is an, a knowing um and it, it wouldn't be relegated to well we're not sure um, but Ernesto, yeah, go ahead and take one of the last words and then I'm going to have to run. No, I, I would just uh, go back to the question that I asked as, as to why you, and maybe it was already answered. I apologize if I missed it. Um, why you would not be able to like, what prevents you from adding and saying something is a canonical text saying like it is the inspired word of God. Cause that's what you believe for the 27 books in the New Testament and the others in the New and the Old Testament. What prevents you from making that same statement to another text? Well, armchair courting back in history. I'm, I'm not the one to do it. Like I'm not the one to put it through these, these rigorous testing and methodology. So, I mean, I would say I of my own would not be qualified. If the, the question would be better framed, how would you know what is true? Well, give me all of it. Give me the Gnostic Gospels. Give me the Pseudopigrapha. Give me all of it. And I have a feeling that God's going to show me, you know, the right way to navigate through this. That would be my layperson answer. Um, but my, my answer, since we can't go back through time, is the way it, it, the way it turned out is the way it turned out. If the Didache should have been in there, it would have been in there. If the book of Ezra's, Ezra's which by the way, like first Ezra's, 
if you read that thing, my gosh, like if you believe it, which, you know, people people don't believe the time frame, which is why it's not in there because it couldn't be verified. Um, but if it was written uh, so early, like they would have you believe, like Old Testament early, that would make a great case for Christianity being true because it talks like in very, very Christian New Testament terms about Jesus being the son of God, being God in flesh, like, you know, being uh, like, I mean, it's very revelation type speak. Um, and if it was written way before that happened, that would make an excellent book to add to our canon because it would just prove so much of our points. Like it, it reads like Christianity, but it's supposed to be in the Old Testament. But the reason it's not is because they think it actually came much later than they would want you to think. So um, and that, that's a great book. We just can't bet it. So I'd say that's not in there because uh, if it was supposed to be in there, it would be in there. Um, anyways, I appreciate the question, CEO. I am going to have to run. Uh, Joe, I saw you just got to stage. That's do you fine. happen to have a very, do you, do you have a super quick question? No, I, well, I'm just going to say this nicely. It seems like you're projecting your voice, like yelling, like up here. I just wish I could hear you speak like this. It would resonate a lot easier on me. Oh, well, sorry, I have headphones on, so I tend to okay. get maybe yeah. uh, maybe this a little amped like, up sometimes. Yeah, it just sounds like you're yelling, and I and I like what you say. It's just the frequency is very pushing it out, like a it's called forced speech. Uh, but I'm not trying to be rude. Or it's Kyle trying to do better. Right? Or he could I'll be try to do better. <laughs> Let's see if you I can talk to this person. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> then crazy. I can feel. What turn down saying. your mic. You might, that's all you got to do if the frequency is a little bit messed up. Just turn down your mic. Oh, I'm on my phone. I don't think I can do that. If you have time to lean, you have time to clean. <laughs> okay, <laughs> everyone. Everyone take care. I'll see you guys later. Peace. Have a good one.